Hey, what's the deal with decaf? How do they get the caffeine out of there? And then where does it go? Welcome back to What's the Deal with Alex. Um, as my intro stated, what is the deal with decaf? How do they get the caffeine out of it? Um, it's something that you could probably Google. And then she says, what do you do with the caffeine afterwards? Also a good question. Something to think about. As always, I'm going to start with some NBA news. Uh, just looking at, I mean, I talked about it last night pretty late, so nothing really has happened. But um, there is a, this funny video where it says there was a, uh, was a video of a 110-meter hurdle race that finishes before Giannis gets off a free throw. And that's pretty much all I'm going to talk about when it comes to the NBA. I don't understand why he takes so long. I mean, in game six of the finals, he was like 16 of 18 or something. So, I mean, it worked out for him. But, like, uh, I don't understand why wait so long. Why make your process so long? You're bound to, like, like overthink it and, and, and ruin your groove. You know what I mean? You Google and look up Steph Curry's routine. He takes like a dribble and shoots it, and he's the best free throw shooter of all time. So, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not so sure about it. It's it's kind of like whenever you want to jump off the diving board, um, you just do it. I mean, the worst part of a roller coaster is the click 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 all on the way up. Um, you'd rather just get it over with, right? It's, it's, it's as if when he's shooting a free throw, uh, he's pulling off the Band-Aid, and he's trying to get every little hair that, to, to come off with it. I don't understand that. But I actually came prepared today. I have things I want to talk about. I have a notepad plus plus of things I want to talk about. I already talked about sports. Um... We'll, we'll talk about the next thing later on because that is different. But I, I want to talk about Mao and, and then China in general. People don't really, I mean, I don't remember learning about Mao. Uh, people don't really know who Mao is. Mao Zedong uh, was the, the communist leader of China for, uh, for a long time, for, his whole, for basically his, his whole, entire adult life. Um, I mean, he was the, I think the founder of the CCP, which is still in power. So, um, what he's really known for are two things that I want to talk about. He's known for a lot of things, but two things I want to talk about that people don't really know. I didn't learn this in high school. I didn't learn this in college. You have to just kind of like find this out on your own, which is kind of crazy. But uh, I think it was in 1949. Uh, there was a, a revolution, communist re revolution. So, so this is also this is also so, so, so something people that uh, they don't know that there was a, a revolution in China that the communists won and forced the what well, I guess what you consider the true Chinese people to what's now Taiwan. So to people that live in Taiwan, they consider themselves true Chinese. So that's why there's a lot of uh, I don't know, contention and, and, and then friction between the two of them. Uh, and there's a lot of hypotheticals where if China were to just annex Taiwan, what would happen? 
but we can talk about that for a different episode. I want to talk about the Great Leap Forward, which was his like uh, kind of his first, uh, I guess, his first attempt at trying to industrialize China as a communist country, and and it lasted for, for four years because it was, a, it was a, an enormous failure. I mean, I'll go ahead and, and I won't bury the lead, uh, but. I mean, it's not truly known how many people starved to death as a result of this, uh, but at least 60 million plus. I mean, I've seen estimates up to almost 100 million people died during this this uh, this quote unquote great leap forward, which was his attempt at turning what was at that time China was four out of every five Chinese people lived in rural communities and worked on farms and he wanted to become more industrial and he wanted to collectivize uh, all farms uh, and so what that means is that he banned private property um, which is as an American uh, sounds wild to me to, to, to just outlaw private property you no longer own your farm you now work on a commune where all of your farm people come together, and these are huge communes, 20,000 people come together and they all work on the same farm. The idea is that it would be more efficient for them to get together and work than it is for individuals to work their own farms for their own general profit, right? I mean, communism is very anti-capitalism, so it makes sense that they would outlaw um, private property but if you look up what collectivization is um, it was originally uh, used by the Soviet Union but then later used by China and literally it just means to collectivize collect all of private property and have the state own it um, now, in, in communism, there's not really supposed to be this idea of uh, a government, like a state. So, you know, that's what, that's what, whenever you say, you know, communism fails every time it's tried, people say, well, you know, it's never really been executed properly. Well, that's because it's impossible. Uh, I mean, for, for communism to work properly, it would have to, you'd have to remove the human element out of it. Um, so, because it, the idea is that, um, if everyone is c completely selfless and everybody uh, works efficiently, 100% efficiently, then yeah, of course. And we share everything. Everybody gets what they need. Everybody does what they can. Yeah, it's great. No, but that's not how people work. People suck. And uh, these communes were a massive failure. Um, they were, people were forced to work a lot basically like slaves and then the government would forcibly buy at whatever price they decide the grain from these communes and that's all they're allowed to grow was grain type uh, crops because it was uh, better to trade than let's say fruit or something else even though the soil or maybe the uh, climate didn't really support that so what was happening is that out in the rural areas, they had these communes where they were trying to 
make as much food as possible so that they could feed the industrial revolution basically that was happening uh, elsewhere in China where uh, I mean Mao said to people to make uh, steel furnaces in their backyards basically and melt things into steel and try to make uh, steel that's not really how it works um, but ultimately it's a it was a failure of government right it, it, the, the, the attempt was we're going to collectivize the farms uh, which means they'll efficiently create all the food and then we'll redistribute the food as necessary and it'll work great but it literally took one year and uh, people started starving to death by the tens of millions and uh, this is during a peace time right 1958 to 1962 China was not at war with anybody right there was no conflict people were just dying to, to death and you weren't allowed to speak out either I mean there was these this uh, this idea I think it was called the hundred flowers campaign which uh, Mao had, had seen some uprisings in Soviet Russia and was like, okay, well, what if I let my people kind of speak out a little bit uh, and see how I'll let them, you know, kind of share their thoughts and, uh, and let them speak their minds. And then he was like, uh, I don't, and then people started actually talking crap about him and saying how awful it is and how they're literally starving to death. And he was like, well, this is getting a little uncomfortable. Uh, I feel like you guys don't like me. So what started was this anti-rightist campaign. Um, and I mean, the numbers are all over the place, but I mean, at least a couple hundred thousand people were persecuted politically. But I mean, there's this article here that says uh, the numbers could be up to uh, one, two million people that were killed because of this um, I mean I, I might be getting the timeline a little mixed up the the, the hundred flowers movement um, but yeah but he literally uh it began in July of 1957, ran through the Great Leap Forward, and then he was like, I changed my mind. Um, you're not allowed to speak out. And political dissidents were either just executed or put into work camps or put into prison, basically. So um, that's kind of how it goes. That's how Mao operated in just four years, just four years. The next thing he's known for is the, the the cultural revolution, which happened after the Great Leap Forward, because that was such a great success. And um, this is a quote from the Guardian from 2016 about about the cultural revolution. Um, it was so. This is a quote. It was widely interpreted as an attempt to destroy his enemies by unleashing the people on the party and urging them to purify its ranks. By August 1966, the so-called Red August, the mayhem was in full swing as Mao's allies urged Red Guards, which were people kind of like brown shirts in Germany. They're like young people 
who were recruited and indoctrinated to, you know, basically uh, think of Mao as some sort of deity. So allies urged Red Guard to destroy the Four Olds. The Four Olds were old ideas, old customs, old habits, and old culture. So historians believe somewhere between 500,000 and 2 million people lost their lives during the Cultural Revolution. And it did not end until Mao died in like 1976 or something. I mean, that's that's wild. Uh, and the reason I, I, I want to, this is interesting to me, the, the four olds, is because that's kind of what people are leaning towards today. Um, you know, people want to tear down statues. They hate traditions and customs. And, you know, the, the whole idea of conservatism is to is to be uh, against rapid change, right? Um, I mean, th- there's a, there's this, this saying that you know you you walk up into a field and there's this white fence. Uh, you should probably know why the fence is there before you tear it down. So the reason he is trying to destroy the four olds is because these old ideas and customs and culture were in antithesis to what he wanted. So if we look at the, the article, um, our objective is to struggle against and crush those persons in authority who are taking the capitalist road. So it was literally just to rid people who thought differently. I mean, uh, it's why, I mean, it's, and it's not that long ago. I mean, this was 1960, this is the 60s. And he was killing his own people by the millions. Um, by, light, by late 1968, Mao realized his revolution had spiraled out of control. In a bid to reign in violence, he issued instructions to send millions of urban youth down to the countryside for quote-unquote re-education. Uh, he also ordered the army to restore order, uh, effectively transforming China into a military dictatorship, which lasted until about 1971. Which it's just it's it's wild. And then of course in uh, I think in in, in, in 1972 Richard Nixon goes and visits China to try to like you know be nice to them and everything, which is ridiculous. But yeah, it, um, perhaps the worst affected region was the southern province of I don't even know how to pronounce that, but. I wish this link worked, but there were, were reports of mass killings and even cannibalism in this province of Guangxi. I don't know. I'm going to look up how to pronounce this. Uh, so that's pretty close. It is Guangxi. Uh, but here I found uh, a Wikipedia article about the, the Guangxi massacre, which uh, or the Guangxi Cultural Revolution Massacre which was a series of events involving lynching and direct massacre during the Cultural Revolution, which lasted a decade. The official record shows an estimated death toll from about 100,000 to 150,000. Methods of slaughter include beheading, beating, live burial, stoning, drowning, boiling, and dismembering. And there's sources on this. Yeah, that's wild as well as cannibalism, rape, and all kinds. Um, then the victims were just political dissidents and then class enemies, the bourgeois, the bourgeois 
right? People who they, who were considered uh, not proletariat. Um, so methods of killing in the massacre, methods of slaughter included beheading, beating, live burial, stoning, drowning, boiling, disemboweling, digging out hearts, livers, genitals, slicing off flesh, blowing up with dynamite, and more. I don't know why it was so violent here compared to everywhere else. Um, but dear God, uh, no one talks about this. Ma massive cannibalism. Human cannibalism occurred here. Um, in 1968, 38 people in the Wuxon County were eaten, and 113 officials of the county participated in eating human flesh. Um, it says independent researchers in Guangxi counted a total of 421 people who were eaten. I'm assuming they were eaten because they were starving to death. Um, but <laughs> there's even a link on here that says list of massacres in China. Um, and there, there's a there's a lot. I mean, we can just look at the Cultural Revolution. I mean, from 1966 to 1976, which is when he died, that's when it ended. Um, that's the only reason it ended. Um, we can look at the different massacres. Uh, uh, there's the Zhao Jingmin spy case, which lasted a year. Uh, over, over a million people were persecuted. Um, Yeah, I mean, just hundreds of thousands of people killed. 1976 to 1999, right? I mean, that's whenever the Tiananmen Square protests happened. Anywhere from 200 to 10,000 people were killed. And that was, like, not that long ago. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty insane. And so I, I bring that up because no one talks about it. Nobody... Nobody really uh, teaches that anymore. Uh, I, nowadays, uh, people, I mean, nobody views China as a threat to the free world, as they should, right? I mean, I guess people would think of maybe like North Korea or Russia, but I guess that's about it. It's China. China is the greatest threat to freedom and prosperity and uh, human life generally to, in the world. Um, and there's near the end, uh, Mao had created this thing called the little red book. And at one point there was over a billion copies printed and it was just a bunch of quotes from him that he forced people to carry around. And it was called a little red book because it was a little red book just filled with his little sayings and you can go and look and read they're not all crazy um uh but one 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 quote i want to point out it says every communist must grasp the truth quote political power grows out of the barrel of a gun which is true if you know anything about socialism and communism right and here's the definition of communism. It's a political and economic doctrine that aims to replace private property 
and profit-based economy with public ownership and communal control of the means of production. So that's what I was saying earlier. There is no idea of like a government. It's very decentralized. It's everyone kind of sharing things freely uh, and working together in harmony perfectly, which sounds great, right? Like utopia um, until people are starving to death and uh, event, someone's going to take control and try to centralize power. It happens every time. And people will sometimes interchangeably use communism and socialism back and forth. But the, to Marx, the transition in the, in, the, in the process was that you would have a capitalistic society and that would only exist for a certain amount of time, right? Because there eventually would become this class struggle between the rich, the bourgeois, and then the proletariat. And then there would be this overthrow, this, this and, and that, that's, that's required in the transition from capitalism to socialism. Uh, if you think of it as a triangle, and at the top part of the triangle are the rich people, and the proletariat is everyone else beneath them, and the triangle is flipped upside down. And that happens through force, right? Uh, it's not like rich people are just gonna give up their wealth and their, the means of production uh, just freely. You know what I mean? It's going to have to be through force. And then as that happens, the next step is communism. But that has never been successfully executed ever in human history. In fact, um, communism has killed more people in just one century than any other ideology ever. I mean, I mean you could even, you think about even when Christopher Columbus landed in South America and you know, spread smallpox everywhere. And they, lots of people, a lot of Native Americans died. Still pales in comparison to the tens of millions of people of his own people that died. And then that kind of brings us to where China is now. Um, China is not really that different really think about it um, and that's what I was saying they are the greatest threat to you know prosperity and, and freedom uh, in, the, in the world and I can see in the next you know decade or so uh, there being some sort of conflict with China because they have a lot of people with only so many resources and I mean they and then they, they not even to mention the cyber attacks and and all this stuff I mean, but the, the main thing I want to talk about in, in terms of current event China is the, the, the Uyghur camps, right? Uh, and Uyghurs are a, is a type, is a, is a Muslim uh, classification. Um, and so there's what China, and China, you know, acknowledges this. There, there's, no, there's no hiding in it. I mean, you can go on Google Earth and find these camps on Google Earth and look at them. But they call it the Xinjiang Vocational Education and Training Centers. Doesn't that sound great? But here, this article states um, that China is defending these centers because from 2014 to 2019, uh, nearly 1.3 million workers a year were 
put into these vocational training centers, and I use air quotes there, uh, and they defend them, saying that they're good, you know, it's, it's great. Um, and the reason they do this, and the reason they're doing this to specifically the, the Uyghur people, and the Uyghur people live in an area of China that's to the west, you know, near Kazakhstan, and borders like eight different countries. But um, some of the some of the things that I noticed just from a, you know a brief little bit of research is uh, that it, there are laws, and I mean, I mean, you want to talk about oppression f for just your beliefs? Uh, it's happening right now. I mean, this, it's cultural genocide is what it's referred to as, and in some respects, it's actual genocide. I mean. There are millions of people in these camps that are never heard of again. Um, and if you resist, my only thought is that you die. Um, and there's been a report based off of people who were able to get out and leave and then tell their story. And uh, the amount of human rights violations is, is, is astounding. This is in May in 2014. 2014, China launched its strike hard campaign against violent terrorism, right? I mean, that was their whole motivation, right? They were scared because there were Uyghur attacks, like, like, like terrorist attacks. So what they did in response was to wrap, bound up and, you know, round up all of these people, uh, force them to download apps to their phone so the government could track them, uh, be surveilled constantly. I had read in an article that uh, in one year, just in the province where the Uyghurs lived, 23% of all arrests in China were located there. But only like 1.4% of the population of China lives there. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane that this is allowed to happen. I mean, the fact that it's allowed to happen is because it is China. I mean, they, they are uh, a pretty, pretty powerful nation, right? They are a world power. Um, But there's been there there are laws that uh, that uh, outlaw certain names. You're not allowed to name your kid certain things. Um, in in school, you're not allowed to speak their native language, um, which is <laughs> insane. Um, I mean, I'm all for like learning your the native language of the country that you've immigrated to, but to straight up outlaw it. Right? Um, like, I still believe in free speech. I mean, you can still, if you don't want to, I, I can't force you to learn English. That, that, that's not what I want. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, they were uh, subjected to more official surveillance, restrictions. Uh, they were being watched constantly or uh, rounded up and put into these camps. Uh, 
And um, the stories that come out of these camps are crazy. So here, here are some of the, the restrictions on re- freedom of religion, right? Which is a normal thing in America. I mean, we take it for granted, honestly, uh, that America has freedom of religion. You could, there, there's literally a church of Satan, right? Uh, that has plenty of members. Uh, I mean, what Lil Nas X uh, has music videos where he is uh, basically praising and endorsing Satanism. And it's totally fine because it's America. But in China, um, they've banned any form of appearance, including facial hair and clothing, that is interpreted to whip up, quote, whip up religious fanaticism and disseminate religious extremist ideologies with facial hair and clothing. That's insane. Require that all pilgrimages to Mecca, which is called Hajj, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I, I think it's like a, an annual thing or maybe just a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I'm not too familiar. But uh, for you to leave China and go to Mecca as a Muslim, you have to get permission from the state. Uh, require the use of halal uh, to be restricted only to certain food products. Uh, prohibit the creation, possession, consumption, and dissemination, including on the Internet, a range of materials so broadly and vaguely that any expression can be construed as prohibited. For example, they include anything that undermines national unity, social stability, economic development, or scientific and technological progress, or that affects religious harmony. That's crazy. Uh, They ban children from participating in religious activities that prohibit anyone, including parents and teachers, from introducing religion to children. Um, I mean... It's, it's crazy. This is all just in response to terrorist attacks. Um, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't even care. They didn't. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I just. <laughs> in China's official stance is like this. They're, they're, they're just like, nah, this is not happening. They're just deny, 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 deny. Which which is 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 crazy that that's allowed. It should be a, a big deal, and it's not. Um, there's a lack of due process. You can just be arrested for no reason for for really really any reason. Um, the focus of Chinese police interrogations was on, was on their lives abroad and their religious practices. This is a guy who experienced it. He he said. The interrogators asked me, what do you do? Where have you been? They checked my passport and saw I've never been anywhere besides that foreign country. They started asking, what do you do? Or who do you know who is Uyghur in that foreign country? Have you used any? Do you pray? Do you smoke? Do you drink? I mean, <laughs> I mean, we think we got bad police. Uh, this is something else, man. Uh, at 10 a.m., five police officers came to my house without any warrant. I refused to go with them, and they forcibly took me. They told me I had endangered state security and that I had harbored terrorists. A relative of mine had sought political asylum abroad, so they may be refer- referring to that. 
but they didn't say. So I said, what's your evidence? How can you detain me without reasons? They said, you sign now. But I said, I refuse to sign. You have no reasons. Uh, it's another uh, interview uh, saying that I have heard it from myself from local police that they um, they'll they'll beat people for no reason, uh, torture and ill treatment. They interrogated me for four days and four nights, during which I was not allowed to sleep. I was strapped to an iron chair. I was also chained for three hours with my arms up like this, so that my toes were barely touching the ground for three hours. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. I mean, I'm scrolling through this report and I'm not even like a quarter of the way down. And these, these things are, these are, these are like, like primary sources. These are people who experience it talking about what happened. Um, it's, it's crazy. Um, and there's a, there's, a, there's a quote that I pulled out of there that I want to read. It says, there's also evidence that Uyghurs are being used as forced labor and that women are forcibly being sterilized. Some former camp detainees have also alleged they were tortured and sexually abused. China obviously denies all allegations uh, and said in 2019 that it released everyone from its re-education camp system and that everything's cool, nothing to see here, keep moving on. So, I mean, there's a lot more to this uh, than what I've talked about so far for the last like half hour. I mean, it's 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 wild to to read some of these stories. I mean, this is a, this is a modern day uh, country. Um, I mean, it's a world power, and we're just allowing it to happen. And this is this is kind of a tangent, but um, I I mean, you know, I kind of understand. The reasoning behind it because like you don't want to start world war three right um but north korea is terrible right obviously i mean it's no secret north korea sucks i mean they they, they, they imprison their people i mean it, it's they start they starve their people it's terrible um and they have weapons of mass destruction i don't know why we don't eliminate them it must be something to do with the geopolitical relationship between them and China. I know that's what the Korean War was about. Um, so, I mean, maybe there's something more complicated to that regard. But I, I just, I felt, uh, you know, I had, I had watched some videos and did some some research. I'll, I'll do more and probably talk about it again later. But, but Mal doesn't get enough credit or t- he hasn't talked about enough in modern day America as being uh, solely responsible for the death of, uh, I mean, at a minimum, like 60 million people. Uh, And then Lord knows how many other people uh, he killed just because of their uh, political beliefs. Um, And so then I wanna wanna kinda like contrast China with America and use just one example. Um, in 2019, Americans, private citizens, not corporations, not anything, not anything, not this isn't foreign aid or anything like that. Private citizens gave almost 
$450 billion in 2019. That's insane. $450 billion that we just gave away. And there's a Wikipedia page. It was very hard. Like I don't know if it's Google or what, but it's very hard to find like, like who's second in terms of like dollar amount. But I was able to find this Wikipedia that lists countries by charitable donation uh, as a percentage of GDP donated to nonprofit by individuals. Uh, and these were published in 2016. And then second place is New Zealand, um, which is kind of unfair because as a percentage of GDP, uh, New Zealand's GDP is pretty tiny. But they were 0.79 as their GDP. We are 0.144, like almost double. Um, it, America is the most charitable nation of all time, and it's not even close. And then another thing I wanted to point out is about uh, black immigration. I know I said black. It's controversial, but it's something that's interesting and that I would love to hear someone's, someone else's opinion on it. Because the longstanding, uh, I guess, ideology and consensus amongst a lot of people is that the United States is systemically racist and, and, and systemic means inherent to the system. So if it is such a hellhole for people of color and for black people specifically, why has black immigration increased fivefold since 1980? Um, there were 4.2 million black immigrants living in the US in 2016, up from just 800,000 in 1980. Much of the recent growth in foreign black population has been fueled by uh, African migration. Um, it says, when compared to other immigrant groups, blacks are more likely to be U.S. citizens or to be proficient English speakers. Um, that's insane. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I would love to hear, like, like if you're, like, interview these people. Um, you know, what was your reason? Why did you leave your country? Um, I mean, it says that overall 28% of black immigrants have a college degree, which is crazy. Uh, which is almost as much as just U.S. like, like native U.S. population, which is 31% in 2016. But among black migrants, Niger people from Nigeria, 59% of people who have immigrated from Nigeria have a college degree. So I, I'm just confused, you know? I, I'm confused why if, you know, if, uh, you know, this, I mean, this is just what I'm getting from mainstream media and from the culture in general is that America is incredibly racist, inherently racist. I mean, I talked about it, I don't know if it was last episode or not. That's the whole point of CRT, um, is that racism exists 
not only in America, but in every society, but specifically in, in America, and it was founded on racist principles and, and uh, that there's no way for black people to rise out of any sort of um, hole that they're in. And the things I just talked about were, is from Pew. I mean, this isn't some, it's not the Heritage Foundation. This isn't a think tank for the right. Uh, it, it's, it's a Pew. Yeah, it's a nonpartisan think tank. So these are just straight facts. Um, I think it's awesome that these people are willing to leave their native country to chase the American dream. And I, I love it. Uh, I just thought I'd throw that in there. I think that's a cool, it's a cool thing. Um, I said, I think I said last episode that I would be a little more spicy and uh, so this might offend some people, but I think it is a little ridiculous. This is on WebMD um, from the AMA, which is the American Medical Association. Uh, they're going to remove sex from public birth certificates. So, yeah. I said requiring it to lead... It can lead to discrimination and an unnecessary burden on individuals whose current gender identity does not align with their designation at birth, namely when they register for school or sports. Uh, I don't, I don't, this idea, I read this article, before, I need to pull it up, but this, a person's sex designation at birth, who, no one is designating your sex at birth. They're making an observation, Right. It says, it's like when they weigh you when you're born, right? Oh, your baby's uh, eight pounds, two ounces. They're not designating his weight. They're just saying that's what it is. So the doctor looks, oh, it looks like a penis. It looks like he's a, he's a beautiful boy. That's not, he's not designating. There's no assigning anything. So uh, there are 48 states in the District of Columbia allow people to amend their birth certificate to reflect their gender uh, identities, but only 10 states allow for gender-neutral designation. Um, the State Department does not offer an option. Right now, they will, I would imagine, within a couple of years. I, I just... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it is... Um, Controversial to say this, but it might be. It's a, so this is this is a quote. So I'm not going to just read this. We need to recognize gender is not binary, but a spectrum. Um, I think that's ultimately very damaging to people. Um, if you were to look up, I'm not. I'm not even going to look it. I'm just. just I'm just going to use common sense and see if it. If I can convey this correctly, transgender people and the, the, the transgender ideology is that uh, a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man at any time, at any place. Uh, if you were to ask how many different genders or sexes, which there's there's no difference between the two of them, according to, to people who follow this ideology. There are, there's literally uh, an, an, an infinite amount, right? You, you cannot, you could be whatever you want. Um, 
But for the AMA, the American Medical Association, to say to 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 accept it, right, is kind of crazy. Um, I personally believe, and it, and, it, and it was, it was included, I think, in the APA, which is like the American Psychological Association. I think that's what it stands for. Um, they had listed it as gender identity disorder or gender dysphoria, and they just took it out once it became a little unpopular. So it was considered a, a legitimate mental disorder. And now we don't consider it a mental disorder, and now we're encouraging people to embrace it, which is like the opposite of what you should do when people are suffering from a mental disorder. Um, the point has been made, I think I made it already, but I'll repeat myself because and it, it makes sense that I don't understand, I, I can't understand the, the, the opposing view, so I have to, I guess, look it up. Because usually what happens is if, if, you, if, you, if you don't, you know, march along and you, 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 you question uh, the idea of, well, maybe sex is binary. I kind of think that it is. If you do that, you kind of, there, there's no like argument or debate. It's just you just get called names, you get yelled at, and you get ostracized from society. So it's, you're scared to kind of like question it even, not even necessarily state, you know, and say that you're wrong, uh, but to just be like, well, you know, can you explain to me what you mean? Because it's very confusing. And there's two things. One is to treat a mental illness, um, you don't want to reaffirm the mental illness. That's not how you treat it. Uh, if someone is a paranoid schizophrenic and they hear voices coming from the TV, what you don't do to treat them is to say, uh, yeah, we also hear it. Yeah, we can hear it too. You're totally great. Uh, continue with your life, right? No, they, they, they get on medicine um, and they, they get taken care of. Um, I mean, depression, right? I suffer from depression. I've been diagnosed with major depressive disorder. The treatment for that is not to uh, embrace my sadness, right? When you're feeling sad, just embrace it. Just be super sad. Uh, no, there are things I'm supposed to do to uh, uh, alter my state of mind. And ultimately, it boils down to there's, uh, there's, a, there's, there's something in my brain, and it's not matching up with reality. And so there's this cognitive dissonance and it's an un, un, uncomfortable state of being. And so the, the worst thing you can do is to do the reverse of what you should do and make reality match what's in your head. Uh, ultimately, you're doing these people a disservice. Uh, transgender suicide rates are incredibly high. I mean, higher than Jews in Nazi Germany. Uh, suicide rates amongst transgenders before transitioning and after are the same which how do you explain that you know I, I mean if you when you when you transition you think you, that you you achieved your goal right you're you're now officially like physically your uh sex that's that, that you have in your head but no they're, they're still unhappy because these people are sick right and so it's not transphobia right i, I don't hate these people i don't dislike them i feel bad for them ultimately right uh, it's a mental disorder and everyone's treating it like it's 
um, normal and it's not good for them ultimately and I, I think we're going to look back and it probably it's, it's probably going to take several decades but we're going to look back on how we how we treated this and be like man uh yeah i think we kind of screwed up on that one um but i guess we can that's enough about that and as always i love talking about taxes because uh as someone who tends to lean to the right i guess i would say uh, I'm pretty libertarian, I would say, in my viewpoint. Um, not necessarily socially libertarian, but in every other aspect. I mean, I think it's Section 1, Article 18 or something like that of the Constitution that lists out the role of the federal government. Uh, and that's about what it should do. You know what I mean? Like uh, set up defense, print money, stuff like that, a post office. Um, so taxes, uh, generally people on the left and, and and I think it's a popular opinion, uh, they would like to raise taxes on the wealthier people, but something that is common sense, but people don't realize is that when you tax something, you get less of it, right? People just find ways around it, right? And a great example is... A cigarette, like whenever you buy cigarettes, there's tax on it. Um, you just will get you get cigarettes some other way, um, and what's what's really annoying about the idea that the 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 wealthy don't pay enough, or or whatever, is that I agree that the system is broken. We can agree. I can agree with that. That right now, I don't like how it's set up. I don't like how many deductions there are. I don't like how many tax credits you can get for whatever. Because tax credits usually are uh, they're they're used and um, what's the word I'm looking for? People, rich people, the wealthy, I guess, they take advantage of tax credits way more than the poor do. And who is subsidizing the tax credits, right? When you buy a hybrid or you put solar panels on your house, it's the middle class. It's the people who, it's the, the, the middle and upper class. So I say, why not just get rid of all of it, right? The tax code is enormous. I, I read an article that said that most of the tax code is old tax code that just included. I'm not sure how true that is. I mean, I, I, you can go to the IRS website and try to, and I tried to download the tax code and I, I waited like 30 seconds and it was a zip file and it, it was still going. And so I don't know. Um, and I think something that uh, that people don't realize is that there is a difference between net worth and how much liquid wealth you have, right? Whenever you look up someone's net worth, like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, any, anybody who's wealthy, LeBron James, whatever, uh, their net worth is not that's how many dollars they have in their checking account, right? They don't have a swimming pool of gold coins. 
Uh, Jeff Bezos has a net worth of you know two hundred billion dollars because Amazon has a bajillion vans. They have a bajillion warehouses. They have a huge inventory. Uh, not even to mention AWS is a, is a massive uh, infrastructure that brings them tons of money. So it's like he owns a lot of stock and share of Amazon. That's not liquid wealth, right? He have to he would have to sell those to get the money, right? So like if I own land, the land may have some sort of worth, right? It may be worth something, um, but not until I sell it, right? So, but there's this idea of liquid wealth, right? So liquid wealth would be your cash, right? So whatever in your savings, checking, 401k, whatever, uh, cash that you can get on hand. And I did some Googling and I calculated it to the, to the best that I could, you know, there's probably a decent margin of error. But let's say the federal government seized every, uh, the top 1%, and there's about uh, a million people in the top 1%, which is surprising to me. I thought there would be less, but there's, there's about a million people, 1.2 million people in the top 1% in terms of earnings in the United States. If we just seized all of their liquid wealth, right? Because you can't seize their net worth, right? I mean, I guess you could seize Jeff Bezos's uh, vans, um, but they depreciate. I mean, everything depreciates generally. But let's say you just took every every uh, top one percent. You just took all, all their savings. You took their four hundred one ks, all the money out of their checking. You took all their liquid cash, took it away from them. Uh, you would not be able to fund the government at all for not even a year. You'd be several hundred billion dollars short. And we can take a look at the federal budget, 2019, right? And people love to point out that if we just cut defense spending, we'd be fine, right? We, if we just not, if we just didn't spend, you know, in 2019 it says defense was 3.2 percent of GDP. It was 676 billion dollars was defense. But people don't realize that defense is part of what's called discretionary spending. So it's voted on every year. So that changes all the time. Right? And so, and there's also a, a section called non-defense, which is over $600 billion. So total revenue trying to look up uh, total revenue made by the government. Okay, yeah, it, it says it on here. The federal government in 2019 collected 3.5 trillion dollars, 3.5 trillion dollars. A lot of that is payroll tax. A lot of it, most of it is income tax. And then there's corporate income tax. And then there's other, which is like excise taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, custom, all kinds of taxes. 
So the defense budget is what it is and it's voted on every year. Um, and then there's a part of federal spending that's just interest on debt that we've accrued, which is like $27 trillion or something ridiculous. But then there's a part of the budget that's called mandatory spending, which means it's it's, it's part, it, it gets bigger every year, no matter what. No matter what. And I bet you can guess what's part of mandatory spending. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and other, which is unemployment. And SNAP and, and things like that. It's, it's the welfare system that's mandatory spending. So they want to they want to look at defense and cut that, which is like one of the only jobs the federal government is supposed to be doing. But they'll look at Social Security, which costs a trillion dollars a year, Medicare, which is over six hundred forty billion, Medicaid four hundred billion, and then other, which would be SNAP um, and other uh, assistance programs. That's over six hundred forty billion. They don't want to cut any of that. They don't want to restructure any of that stuff. And I looked up and googled um, how many people, because I mean, people are getting older and older. Baby boomers are getting older and older, and and more and more people are joining Social Security and Medicare. Um, and the, the, I mean, when you look up the unfunded liability of of Social Security and Medicare, I mean, it's, 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 it's enormous. And I looked it up. It says every day in the United States, 10,000 people turn 65. And the number of older adults will more than double over the next several decades to top 88 million people and represent 20% of the population by 2050. How is the government going to pay for that? How? How are they going to give 88 million people uh, old people, right? Because old people need, they usually, it's pretty expensive. Healthcare for old people is expensive. How are they going to pay for it? So I agree. The tax system sucks. It's broken. Let's get rid of it. Uh, and why don't we restructure it? And instead of taxing income, and, to, and, and, and I, I had a thing here, but I won't get into it. But property tax is an annoying tax that I believe is unconstitutional. But how about a consumption tax? Because it's difficult, and, and, and sometimes income is misleading, right? If uh, you won the lottery, right? If I won the lottery today, and I won $100 million, I would quit my job, put my money in the bank, and that's it. And I'd live off the interest of that. And my income would be zero, Right? But I have $100 million in the bank. I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I pay taxes on the, the, the lottery winnings, but my income is zero. So the, the government's missing out on a lot of money there. And so what's funny is that uh, the person who brought this up on um, the American Enterprise Institute back in 2014 was Bill Gates, who is you know pretty left-wing. Uh, he says, don't tax my income, tax my consumption, which is, it just makes sense. Who spends more money? People who have money. It just like, that's a, that's like a duh thing, right? I think I brought it up last episode or episode before. 
You know, when Jeff Bezos spends you know half a billion dollars on a yacht, how many jobs does that create, right? I remember. I mean, I I remember when I was a kid, and the term trickle down economics was made fun of. But if you really think about it, I mean, I guess like maybe there's specifics of trickle down economics that I don't understand. But when you think about it, like when he buys that boat, right? How many people does it take to build the boat? How many people does it take to run the boat? When he goes to fill it up with gas, how many jobs are created when, you know, you need that gas, you need someone to produce the gas, you need to pay someone to do the the maintenance, you need to insure the boat. So there's jobs for that. I mean, so, so, so taxing people on their consumption is way more fairer than taxing people on a progressive income level, right? And so um, it could be as simple as you take whatever the poverty line is and everything below that is not taxed. So if you make less than the poverty line, you don't you pay zero taxes. I'm down with that. Everything above that, we just make it a flat like, you know, 12% or something. So if you're broke and you're poor, Obviously, if you're you're really poor, you don't pay anything. But if you're broke and you but you but you make more than the whatever twenty four for a household for people twenty four thousand for a household, whatever, you pay twelve percent. But you're spending less than other people, so it'd be fair. It'd be better for you. And I, and I brought it up last time. I mean, the there's there's a there's a black market out there, right? Think about under the table. People who get paid under the table in cash, right? You think they're filing that on their tax return? Doubt it. But when they go to spend it, it, it would be it would be considered. It would be taxed because you're spending it. You're consuming something. So that's my little rant there about taxes. I I I, I like talking about taxes because. Um, they are one of the biggest ways to limit innovation and growth and prosperity in America. Um, it's it's a it's a huge burden, and uh, it gets in the way of a lot of um, innovation in 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 the United States. And does the government really need more money? I mean, three three and a half trillion dollars. The, the government can't figure out. I mean, three and a half trillion, three point seven. I mean, it's probably going to be more. I mean, during Biden's administration, I mean, I, I could see taxes being raised. I mean, something's going to have to happen eventually. Right? As the longer you go with deficit spending. Uh, the harder it's going to be later to, uh, you know, you're going to have to have austerity measures, which means cutting lots of benefits, or tax people like crazy, or both. And so something has to be done, but no one wants to do anything because it's unpopular, right? And everyone wants to uh, get reelected. But you're, but like the federal government can't figure out how to make three and a half trillion dollars work. I just I, I find that hard to believe. That's crazy. 
Um, I want to end the podcast on a positive note. Um, something just just positive. Um, church. I think uh, the idea of your of a, of a community, and then and in terms of in my personal life, that community is my church. Right. It could be your neighborhood. It could be whatever. But for me, it's church. And the relationships that I have in church, the people that I know in church, I've only really been to two churches in my whole life. Uh, is it a Catholic church when I was, a, I think, a teenager? And then uh, the church I go to now when I was a uh, freshman in college. And the relationships and the people and the friendships that I've made there um, – are incredibly important to me and very meaningful and i would highly suggest anybody even if you let's say you're like kind of agnostic or you're on the fence uh like you believe in sort of some sort of higher power or intelligent design or something like that i highly encourage you to just go to churches right just shop around right not it's not like you have to not every church is going to be the best, um, but it's important to have that fellowship in your life, have those relationships, and a great vehicle is church. Because once you get out of college and high school and stuff, you know you have work, I guess. And if you're not friends with people at work, where are you going to make friends when you're a grown up? Right? I'm 26. Where am I going to make friends? You know, it's hard. But if you can find something, like like something like church, where everyone has like kind of a common goal and kind of this like thing that binds us all together, um, it really helps you out, and it removes the need for uh, the federal government, the state government, to help you out when you have a, a community that is there to help you, right? And and more needs than just financial, um, so. That's what I want to end on is uh, I'm very thankful for my church, the Charleston Church of Christ. Um, they're, they're great. They, I really hope they don't close due to de- the, the Delta variant or whatever. If they do, I'll rant about that in an episode um, because it's only been a few months of like in-person service. And it's only been a little bit of no mask wearing. So if we have to close down because of the seven-day rolling average death count in uh, South Carolina is four. Uh, that's going to be a little ridiculous. Um, so, but regardless, I the reason I would be upset is because I want to go, right? I don't want to sit at home and watch it on TV. I want to be there and talk to people and interact and see. And it's just different when you're, when you're there in person. And so... Um, for your own mental health and for your own well-being, it is very important to be part of a community and to make friends. And uh, for someone like me, that's always been very hard in my life, and uh, church makes it easy. And uh, so even if it's like just selfish, you're just like, oh, I'm here to make friends, and, I, and I'm using the church as a way to make friends, uh, that's fine. But also, I think that there's something to learn from what is preached and teached at church so um 
that is all I have. Hopefully that was somewhat entertaining. Um, I think uh, next time I'm gonna try to talk about more current events. Um, I, I just, I, I wanna talk about Mao, China, and, uh, and communism, and then I, I, you know, I always talk about taxes, but nobody cares about taxes. I, I know people think it's boring, um, but it, it's important. I mean, it, 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 it impacts your life a lot. So I appreciate everyone who listens. Um, as always, you could uh, reach me on Twitter, uh, and my handle is at giraffe dog. I know it's ridiculous, but it's at giraffe underscore dog. And then uh, I have an email that is uh, what's the deal pod Alex at gmail.com. And I'm t- willing. And so send me whatever questions. You can disagree with me, call me names, uh, yell at me, whatever. Uh, and I will listen to it and uh, react. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with being wrong on whatever I've said so far. Um, so I appreciate you and I will catch you guys in the next one.